from inside Memorial Stadium. This is the Huskers Radio Network podcast. All Huskers, all the time. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie. Well, what a treat we have today. Two very powerful women joining me here in studio. Morgan Shaw Parker, who is the president and COO of the Atlanta Dream, and Heidi Kuka, who is with our Huskers Athletic Partners and who you guys have a long-standing relationship. You're a Husker. Heidi helped get your start in, in your career. How, what's it like being back? Oh my gosh, it's so special because Heidi was my very first boss and I'm trying not to date ourselves, but you know, <laughs> it's just 25 years ago and I attribute a lot of what I have the opportunity to do now is because Heidi put me in some really cool positions to do some really amazing things in the athletic department. So it's actually really cool to sit next to her and do this. That's amazing. <laughs> what's it like seeing, you know, a former pupil go on and do what she's done? Well, I'm so proud and I've just known right away that she is so talented and just her the way she communicates and conducts herself. It's just nice to see a legacy like that. Well, I mean, your resume is just so impressive. You're with Nike, the Kansas City Chiefs, and you're with the uh, Atlanta Falcons, right, for a while. And now you're with the Dream. Uh, Tell us about the start first. You started here <laughs> as a Husker. You graduated yeah. from here. We're a GA in the marketing department. How did you even get your start into sports? Well, I, you know, I got my start when I was in the business college here and I needed a marketing internship. And a couple of friends said, well, why don't you check out the athletic department? And I had no idea that there was a whole business side of sports. It's just not something at the time that was really taught in business school. And I don't think it was taught really in any of the other colleges. But what was really cool is when you get thrust into the athletic department and especially working for Heidi and 24 intercollegiate sports at the time we had a lot of you know fans that came to football games a lot of fans that came to volleyball games but you know I had the opportunity to market sports like tennis and wrestling and you know basketball and you know you name it and so it was really interesting and you had to work really hard because you know sometimes it's not necessarily a, a sport that fans think of first to come and watch and support wrestling and so it was challenging so I that's how I got my start is is really kind of getting my hands dirty and understanding all of the different functions within a sports business environment from marketing to broadcast to sales and sponsorship and so it was really cool so that kind of opened up the door I mean, the things that have been written about you, I mean, one of the most powerful women in sports in 2020, that was from Adweek, Sports, sports Business Journal called you a game changer. Would you have thought when you hired her as a GA <laughs> that she would go on? I mean, I know you, don't you lie, said that Heidi, you saw don't lie. potential, but would you have thought it would end up here? Oh, absolutely, yes. She was very talented <laughs> and no, we can see, and a lot of people have gone on to do well. Mm -hmm. In fact, Fraka Hockman is mm -hmm. at, was almost dean of the journalism college. Mm -hmm. And so we've just had a lot of great people go on and do well. In fact, one of my interns is now my boss, Jason <laughs> Rathy and Brandon Meyer, whose wife also worked with this. So, but the industry has changed. If you look back when she was working and you can see it in the films, we literally had eight by four foot signs that we'd have to carry <laughs> and slide into these brackets. Now it's very digital and very high end. And so, um, Everything has changed. And I want to put a shout out too to Bill Byrne, who was our athletics director mm -hmm. at the time. And he just really saw the business 
side of, of the business and so enabled us to do all of that. So it was great. And well, he embraced all the things that we did. Yeah. Well, well, he also embraced putting women in powerful positions. And you think about what Heidi was able to do and being a trailblazer in that space. You just didn't see that. And for me, be my first foray into sports and seeing women in these powerful roles. You know, we had a woman overseeing SID at the time too. And, you know, there were so many opportunities to see it. So I didn't think twice about it not being something that was normal. Once I got out into the professional world of, you know, the NFL and some other sports and agencies, you then started to realize, oh, that that's not a normal thing. So, you know, I, I feel like Bill was really ahead of the curve in that space. You literally Absolutely. read my mind. I was going to ask you as a young, impressionable woman coming out of college to see Heidi in that position had to be huge at the mm -hmm. time when it, there's been a lot of growth, but at the time it just wasn't something that you saw, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure. It had to be huge for, for someone in, in yeah. college at that time. It was. I didn't realize it at the time because that was just normal. Heidi was, she's powerful. She called the shots. <laughs> I mean, she probably wouldn't tell you that right now, but she, you know, she still is. And, you know, I think that's that infectious personality and then the trust in the fact that she gives really clear direction and she trusts you to go do your job and she doesn't micromanage you. And so it's really interesting in just taking a page out of her playbook in terms of how do I apply that moving forward. You know, one thing that she did for me was really, I remember putting me in tough situations and some of that was trust. Some of that was because she was busy and she's like, you know what? I hired you. You got to go do this. Now get out there and go figure it out. And, and honestly, for me, it helped build my confidence in areas where I might not have put myself in that situation before. And, and if I were to look back on why did I take the leap into different places like that, it, it probably started all from a lot of these situations here because it's such an impressionable time. Was that important for you at the time to give those opportunities to young women? Absolutely. And, and, and the young men as well. Mm -hmm. So we just had a close-knit group. And when you're marketing 24 different intercollegiate sports, you're here all the time. We were talking to Jeff Grish last night, who's uh, media for the women's basketball team, and just how many nights you just might have had to stay overnight just because mm -hmm. you, especially in November when you've got the fall sports ending up Crossover and, season. And, and basketball <laughs> starting. And so, yep. And marketing interns are out there putting up flyers for the next event and even in bathroom doors. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a little initiation that goes on, which makes it fun too. But, uh, but that's one of the great things about working in sports is just the camaraderie and you all have that same common goal. You're all loyal to the team and you want to do well. And so you pick people you want to be around and mm -hmm. can trust. And so that's a big part of it. Yeah. When you finished your um, degree or your time as the graduate assistant and you, you left here, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have in mind kind of where you wanted your career to go? Well, I, I, thought I did. I thought sports was really interesting, but I didn't know where or how or when. Um, I never in a million years thought I'd be sitting in a position being a president of a professional sports team. But at the same time, um, you know, I was I was putting myself in situations that probably made me a little uncomfortable. I got a call from the Kansas City Chiefs when I was there interning one summer when I was working at Nebraska. I spent or four months there and it wasn't the best internship my job was to deliver pocket schedules and i hated it 
but I did it. I showed up every day and I delivered those darn park pocket schedules. And I probably shouldn't say it, especially on air, but I'm sure a lot of them ended up in the dumpster behind the stadium. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> People still came to the games, the not because of a po- dumpster, yes, right? the recycling <laughs> dumpster. Yep, they didn't come to the games because they got a pocket schedule. But but it was interesting. I got a very narrow view of what sports business could be like. So coming from Nebraska and then going into this narrowly minded space on what, first of all, a woman could do. Second of all, what what marketing and sponsorship was at that time. But what I didn't realize also is like, hey, you got to roll up your sleeves and that had to be done. And so as frustrated as I was, I went down and down the hall and, you know, met Anita Bailey who sold sponsorships. And I met, you know, Bob Gretz who, you know, called play by play. And, you know, I, I, you know, met the, um, the general manager of the organization, Carl Peterson. And, you know, I got to cut tape. I got to do stories. I got to interview players and I worked for the PR department when they finally called me back and said, hey, do you want to come work full time in a completely different department? So it actually helped me get a bigger perspective, but I had to take on that own, my own initiative to do that. Did you like the NFL coming out of uh, college? You know, I, I learned to like it. It uh-huh. was interesting because the NFL is this big, sexy thing and everybody really, you know, you aspire if you're in sports, it's like, oh, it would be so cool if I could do that or do this. Well, I did all of those things and I absolutely loved it. I was really fortunate when I was at the Chiefs. Um, I worked under Lamar Hunt. Um, I worked with a couple of folks there who really took me under their wing and really said, hey, here's how to do this. You could walk down the hall with Marty Schottenheimer, Coach Vermeil, Gunther Cunningham, and you could ask a question. And it was all, at that time, more of a family. So like Heidi was talking about, more of a family environment here, it was just open door policy. And you were never, it was never a separation of almost church and state with, you know, business and football. So you know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go back after the Chiefs and work for another NFL team because it is hard for women. Um, there's a lot of conversation of, oh, if you don't come from a football family or if you've never played the sport. And that was back then. It's changing now, which is really cool to see it. So when I did come back to the Falcons, it was a little different. But still, seven years ago, I was the very first vice president of communications ever in the NFL. Crazy. Wow. 32 teams. First female. It's it's like it just still baffles me because that just sounds absurd to say it. Uh-huh. But, yeah. So they still have a long way to go, but they're working on it. I was just going to remark that we just um, celebrated Pat Logston being here mm-hmm. for forty two years, forty three years, mm-hmm. and that she was the first Division One um, football power uh, director of ops, and so for her to be that kind of a trailblazer. So mm-hmm. there were some great. Um, models here at Nebraska. Chris Anderson was mm-hmm. the sports yep. information. I'm pretty sure she was the only one, Division One sports information director Absolutely. at the time. And so lots of good ways to model that way. And mm-hmm. so the NFL, they'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> they will. And we're celebrating this year the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Yeah. So, you know, you see the progress happening, but it's it's a little slower than you'd like to see. Um but it is happening. So. so you had mentioned that you never set out to be, oh, I'm going to be a president of a professional team. 
how did that get there? How did you get to that <laughs> point? How did that work out to where your career got to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I always say I, I didn't do it by myself. I'd be silly to sit here and say that it was all me and hard work. And yeah, I worked hard, but I had a lot of champions along the way. A lot of people that helped open doors and believe in me. A lot of people that took really dumb questions from me when I said, I don't know how to do this or, hey, can you help me figure out how you made that decision or whatnot? And a lot of them being women, but a lot of them being men, you know, and I, I'm a note taker. I'm a copious note taker. And if there's something really interesting that is said or a way a situation's handled, I'll go back home and write it down and, and refer back to it because I, you know, my brain's only so big. So a lot of things <laughs> fall out if I don't, but um, maybe that's just as, as I'm getting older, that's happening. But, you know, I, I feel like I just had such great fortune to work under really amazing humans and you know, Heidi being one of them, but, you know, taking a page out of different playbooks, not only from my bosses, but from all of the coaches that I've worked for. And you think about how, what you learn in sports, how that transcends into business. And I used to tell coach Dan Quinn that all the time at the Falcons. And I think, you know, he kind of chuckled and looked at me like, okay, I don't understand how you're doing that. But then he'd come into our, he'd come into our meetings and we'd talk to him about what he's teaching his team. And we'd transfer it right to what we were doing on the business side too. And it was really cool. So, you know, just as much as I learned on the business side, I was taking from some of these coaches. And, you know, I grew up in the day where, you know, you had the Pat Summits and, you know, so many powerful female coaches too. So, you know, sitting in the president's seat right now, I'm really humbled because I've got an amazing general manager in Dan Padover who's the two-time executive of the year from the Las Vegas Aces. I've got Tanisha Wright, who's a brand-new head coach, former player in the NBA or WNBA. We've got an ownership group who believes in core values first, which that was really important for me if I was going to jump away from a great job at the Falcons and Arthur Blank's you know, family of businesses. And it had to be an ownership group that didn't just say, it's all about butts and seats or it's all about winning a championship because I'm not your person. If that's all you aspire to do, then i got to fill my bucket at this stage in my life life, I have to fill my bucket in a different way. So you had said that, you know, your goal is to turn the dream into a model WNBA franchise. So when you take over as president, how do you go about setting those goals? Because I can imagine that you got all these ideas and goals and dreams that you want to do for the dream. But how do you kind of prioritize that and manage each step and, and what goals are along the way? Yeah, it, that's a great question. And I always have to start with listening because I don't, I always say that I don't come into any situation with a template. I don't come down from the mountaintops with here's how to do it. And I remember one of our owners saying, well, I hope you, I hope you know how to do this. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you take the time to listen and you take the time to really understand where the play players' heads are, where the ownership's heads are at, where the associates are, you know, what the franchise used to mean versus where are we going. And ours, frankly, is a complete rebuild. We've got new ownership, new leadership, new head coach, new general manager, brand new team. I think there's only two players that are still under contract that we had prior to this this ownership coming in, which is, it's pretty cool. Think about that. There's there's no other chance that I know of that I've seen, unless you're a startup franchise, to get the chance to do that. And then when you think of the fact that the Atlanta dream was named for Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, and we sit in the heart of Atlanta, one of the most diverse cities in the entire world, and you just think about, man, I don't have to make this stuff up. And you've got 85% black females that that 
at the end of the day, the athletes' voices haven't been pulled into business strategy. And, and really, and how do we resource them? How do we build for them? How do we do that for our young female aspiring athletes? And to me, that, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it because it's just, that's the stuff that matters. So I, I really do feel like I've kind of come full circle and I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now. <laughs> that's amazing. You're going to the final four this weekend too. Yeah, first one. Well, first one on the women's side, which will be really fun, so. You, you think about where the conversation was a year ago regarding the NCA tournament, especially on the women's mm-hmm. side, and you know the inequities and and mm-hmm. all of the the bad the weight press. rooms, <laughs> yeah, the surrounding it, yeah. and even you know there's been some push for the WNBA to be treated equally with the yeah. NBA. I mean, how what's your take on the push for that and getting to where these women's sports do need to be where? it is an equal playing field for men's men's and women's athletes. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's still gonna take time for Mm -hmm. that, but I have a fundamental belief that women's sports doesn't have to be built the same way as men's sports, and equal doesn't mean the same same exact KPIs, the same exact salaries, the same exact expectations in terms of crowds and, you know, I keep saying butts in seats, but you know, it's just a cliche cliche way of saying dollars in pockets and butts in seats. And it's just, it's so much more than that. I think what's really cool right now is that we're in this time period where you've got a couple awesome things happening just in the last three months. Think about the fact that you've got a $75 million capital raise from the WNBA. Think about what Commissioner Engelbert has done in terms of bringing companies like Deloitte, Nike, I think it's US Bank, a couple of others that have literally put their money to say, we believe in the structure of this this league and we believe in the importance of this league and we're gonna help fund kind of the next 25 years. That's impressive and $75 million, part of what I have the great fortune of doing is sitting with 11 other WNBA presidents tomorrow morning with the commissioner to help talk about how do we spend that? Like what a cool project to work on and so, I went back and asked my whole staff, how would you guys do it? And so everybody had a voice in all of that too. And I think a lot of the other presidents did that as well. You've got that that's happened. You've got, and don't quote me, but I think it's uh, $27 million in back pay that has been won by the NWSL players. And you think about that equal pay that they've been fighting for for years. I think 25 million of it went to back pay and 2 million might've gone to the league or some something else in terms of the structure. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but then you think about March Madness. And I will say that um, this is the first year that the women have ever been able to use the term March Madness. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That that's it, that, that seems so small, but so absurd when you, it actually comes out of your mouth that the women had to call it the women's NCAA basketball tournament. It's nuts. So, so the cool thing that's happened three weeks, I believe it was about two to three weeks before the first round, um, ESPN announced that all of the ad sales for the first two rounds were completely sold out for mm-hmm. women's. That's awesome. Yep. And then you think about, I believe it was by tip off for that first game, the entire tournament was sold out. Yep. Just think about that. I mean, that gives me goosebumps too. The fact that you've got companies that are investing more, they understand the value is more than what a rate card says it is. That's awesome. So it's got to be also cool on on that terms to see the investment in women's sports. Heidi, I know you were able to show her around some of the facilities yesterday. I mean, just the fact that 
the facilities here are unmatched both for men's and women's sports it's mm -hmm. not it's you look at what our women's sports are doing here and, and they're provided all of the best as well absolutely and just even sharing with Morgan, that uh, we had BTN, the most viewership for the women's game against Iowa and then Michigan, and so that those numbers are coming up on their own. And she did mark, we got to see in the locker room that the March Madness rug was on the floor it's there. there. Yeah. So <laughs> just those, those milestones are fantastic. And so it's just a great thing to see as it evolves and that it's an important thing to take care of. Yeah. Usually the locker rooms are better than NFL locker rooms. They are. Been. The <laughs> locker rooms are insane. I think I, I wish that more student athletes realized what they had here as students in general, because this is just not normal in a lot of universities. And heck, when you go to the pros, there's a lot of proteins, <laughs> men's and women's that aren't mm -hmm. treated the same. So it's cool. Okay, as looking back, and I know you got to get going, you got a busy schedule, but what's probably the biggest thing that you learned being a Husker graduating from Nebraska that has kind of carried on to, to throughout your career mm -hmm. that where you are now? Gosh, you know, it's a great question. I, I just attribute so much of me finding myself here and finding my own confidence. And I'm just grateful for the fact that I found a home in Nebraska athletics because I always wanted to play. I had, um, I'm the oldest of four girls, five actually, if you count my cousin who came to live with us for a long time. Um, and they were all better athletes than I was. <laughs> I thought I was awesome. And then they grew up and kicked my butt. So, you know, to, to find a home in athletics where I really, really wanted to be, um, it was really amazing. And to, to understand that there was such an amazing opportunity to define my own career path and that my curiosity wasn't a lack of knowledge, it, but it was embraced. And, and the fact that I wanted to roll up my sleeves and learn and do, I think that's the big thing that I take from it. And a lot of people ask, well, you know, should I go straight for my graduate work or should I go into the workforce? And you know, I think when you find something you're passionate about, you'll know it and mm -hmm. and you go full speed ahead into that and, and do it for as long as you can, as long as it fills your bucket, as long as you're learning. And you know what? You build for the next opportunity as well. It's funny, we just had Pro Day a couple weeks ago and a number of them said that they felt prepared for this process because of what they went through as a student athlete mm -hmm. at Nebraska. Did you feel that mm -hmm. way too, that you, once mm -hmm. you left here, you were prepared for some things because of, I mean, this is like a, like a professional franchise in a way. It is a professional franchise. <laughs> and in fact, it's more well run than most professional mm -hmm. franchises and businesses that I've been in. And I've and I've worked for all facets of sports and agency and professional. I've been to 18 different Super Bowls and, and worked for the NFL League office. And it's all fantastic. And they all do a great job. But how well run this is and how student centric it is and how, you know, like I said, the opportunity to learn and ask questions. I think once I figured out that that's okay at a young age, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know what you're going to be when you grow up. In fact, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I ask that to everybody I interview too, but you know, the fact that you don't have to know everything and that you should be comfortable in your own skin asking questions and and you know what? Heidi will tell you, she doesn't know everything. She had an amazing career, but she's still learning. And she wouldn't be here if she wasn't still learning and growing and having opportunities to do new things. So I realized that that was just something that was very important to me. And I look for agencies and, excuse me, look for organizations that offer that as I grow in my career. You got any, if there's a little girl listening or a young female listening in that you got a piece of advice for them? <laughs> 
You know, I go back to what my, well, two things. One of them is what my dad taught me and one of them is what my little sister Becca taught me. So my <laughs> dad always said, you know, to do good things for the right reasons and good things will follow. And I've, Love that. I've said that all my life and it sounds so simple, but it's so true. And the other one is uh, my sister Becca always said, just jump off the rug, Morgan, just go do it. It's the year of yes. <laughs> like, I guess I do need to say yes to more opportunities. Just do it. You'll land on your feet. You'll figure it out. That's awesome. <laughs> Heidi, you have any final thoughts? Well, I just, the, I'm a very curious person, and I think it's important that we do have all these resources in terms of being on campus. And so like the College of Business, like the Journalism College, that we, that's where we draw their inspiration from this, the young people and how they help us to satisfy that curiosity because they want to learn and we need to learn. I mean, just look at the studio, how far it, and that has advanced and all with sp- social media and how mm-hmm. things have just evolved instantaneously and so you do need to keep up with that and that's why we're blessed to be on campus here have those resources and those partnerships yeah i should mention too one of the reasons you're here is you're an alumni master in the 2022 class <laughs> at the nebraska alumni association how special is that to be uh, honored and recognized by your alma mater well first of all the fact that the college of business is giving me a war- an award i'm like i was there were a couple times in those accounting classes where i was lucky to graduate <laughs> <laughs> so number one, I'm grateful. Um, number two is just, it's such an honor. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I really do put Nebraska up there as the best of the best. And I was, I, you know, I had the good fortune to be accepted and have this opportunity and just to see the campus growing and to be back here and to be a representative of that moving forward. I mean, you know, my little kids don't stand a chance. They're going to be told they need to go to Nebraska because <laughs> this is where it all happens. <laughs> Got to get them back for a football game in the fall. Exactly. Yes. They're three and six and you know they're they're going to be in it to win it. <laughs> <laughs> the go big red chance going right now. And as, as Love little, it. So. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much and congratulations on everything. We could we could spend hours with you, but we'll let you get to. I know you have a very tight schedule, so we'll let you get to the next one. Appreciate everything that you're doing for paving the way for women and for spending some time with us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. <laughs>